like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Someone told me, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if we should believe him, but uh, you tend to try to trust people. But he said that that mountain, that backside, that peak, it's the highest point in Florida. So this song goes out to the highest people in Florida. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and this week starts a trio of shows that we'll be doing from the 2003 riot act tour as we mentioned very very early in the year and actually did a couple already from the australia and japan run back in february we did those and we said we were going to go heavy on the anniversaries this year. It's the 20th anniversary of the Riot Act tour. We're finding some of the really good shows, some of the best, and even some that maybe you haven't been paying attention to all these years. And I think that this show probably falls in this category. There are a couple things that are very interesting that happen here. Some historical significance, some that might have just flew under the radar, but we're going to be talking about them because this was a Patreon requested episode from our patron Jared, and that's why West Palm Beach is going to be covered in full today. I'm excited for it. It starts a really good run here, and let's just get started. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Yep, we're completing, I guess, the little southeastern run of shows here, which I always appreciate. Yeah, this is honestly... In total, we haven't done a ton of the early April stuff. We've done basically all of the late April stuff going into May with Buffalo and State College and Nassau Coliseum. We've done a ton of those, but most of what we've covered in the past, because it's so prominent, has been the July stuff. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, those those July shows, like that's what a lot of people think of, and we'll get to that when we get to our question of the week, I'm sure. But yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in April too. Like all that Riot Act stuff was still fresh. They were just coming off the Far East tour and Pacific Rim, so a lot of good shows there too that I think go under the radar. When I'm thinking about this tour and I'm thinking about this year, there are really three themes overall that stick out to me. 
One of them is the theme of getting political with this year with the Iraq war and Bush. And I think that's the big one when you think of 2003 and what Pearl Jam and Ed were talking about all the time. It was this. They don't talk a lot at this show, but a big portion of what they do talk about is going to be political in this, which it's part of the time. And they've never really stopped being political, even though maybe it's gone down a little bit. We'll see what happens in 2023. As I'm saying this, as we're recorded, there is nothing announced. However, if there actually is something announced, you will know because we will put an episode out the next day talking about all that that's coming. So I know there are rumors. I know everything like that. There's it's Minnesota and Dallas and Chicago and a couple other places. But obviously as we're sitting here right now, we have nothing definitive, but maybe this will be out on Tuesday. And before you listen to this episode, you'll listen to that one and maybe you'll listen to it tomorrow. Who knows? But Whenever it does happen, that should be out for you, but we're not going to talk about it right now because it doesn't exist. Anyway, moving on to whatever I was going to say before that, it's a sign of the time and a lot of little themes from this. You got to go all the way to the end of the show with Ledbetter 2. That one gets very political and that's 2003's version where Ed is kind of going off on improv and kind of taking an idea from when he wrote the song about the Gulf War to what's going on in in Iraq now. That's a big, big theme for 2003. Another one is a personal theme for the band themselves. It's coming off of Roskilde Sill and Love Bo Captain every single time that's going to be played in the show, which we'll talk about a lot because we actually just recorded the Evolution episode for Love Bo Captain, so it's very fresh in our heads. So we have that theme kind of going, and that's still in their minds, and they're still working off that a little bit. So there's stuff to talk about with Love Bo Captain and Alive with that. But also, the third theme is that 2003 was really the year. The year that everything was back on the table. You want deep? Deep is coming back. You want glorified G? Sure. Glorified G, why not? They're going to sound check it two times in this show, feel comfortable with it enough to play it here for the first time since 1996. So that's pretty important. And a lot of other songs, you know, Why Go is another one. In My Tree was another one. Uh, Present Tense was another one. So they're starting to mix it in. They're starting to kind of pay tribute to their whole entire catalog instead of like what their usual basis is. So I wouldn't say it's the first year where you get the sense of anything can happen at a Pearl Jam show, but I think it's solidified now. Yeah, and you would see that kind of extend into 2006 with, you know, Leash and Dirty Frank and things like that. But this was really the beginning of it. There was definitely a change in philosophy when the shows they became a lot more fan-friendly. That's saying something since it was very much already, but they realized like, hey, People are traveling. They're starting to see people coming to multiple shows. People are taking in like, you know, 10, 20 shows at a time. I'm sure we owe these people the chance to give them something they hadn't seen in a long time. So, yeah, that, that's a big part of it. And we're going to get a big one at this show. Let's get into the story from Jared Schaefer, one of our patrons. And he's a, a newer patron and he's kind of been around the community for a little bit. So we know him. And he requested this episode kind of at a perfect time because we were looking to do the 2003 shows and we happen to have an opening for a while in this spot for this week. 
and he requested a show that pretty much was perfect for it because the anniversary being the 11th and this coming out on the 12th, uh, that just kind of made perfect sense. So let's hear from Jared. He was able to record something for us. So let's hear from him and get his story about why he picked West Palm Beach and why it's his favorite show. Hi, Randy. Hi, John. Hope you guys are doing well. This West Palm Beach show in 2003 was really tight, brisk, entertaining, high energy, and it seemed to touch on all the elements of the Riot Act tour by, you know, introducing a song they hadn't played in a while in Glorified G, and certainly all the political elements of that year with the covers of I Am a Patriot and the interpolation Eddie did of Save It For Later at the end of Better Man. And just all like the Riot Act songs in general that they played. I felt like all the Riot Act songs had high energy. Probably among some of the better versions, I remember being really impressed by Save You and, you know, the way Eddie gets out his growls and screams on that one. There was an opportunity for this show to go really sideways after the performance of I Am A Patriot. You know, that dark, stark Ed and Matt arrangement of I Am A Patriot and then his speech. But I feel like Eddie threaded the needle very well and was very balanced in his attack. And, you know, even with the sheepish grin saying that he loved President Bush, I think they kind of kept things from going really sideways. The thing I always go back to with this show is the performance of Daughter, just how spacey it was. Took a long time to get to the tag. And the call and response, to me, is among one of the better ones that they've ever done. I just keep on going back to that. And then, you know, I didn't know at the time, but Ed tagging a little bit of Dig Me Out, which he would later do on versions of Porch, that tour. I think that was a great way to kind of fade out that particular song and just the show. And with Daughter being at the start of the second encore, really interesting placement for it, but worked really well. And when you get to, you know, the performance of Yellow Ledbetter and he says, this really has been one of the best crowds of the tour, I do believe that was true. And it, it's kind of a shame that that Florida run, the next night they would play like a really small venue, the House of Blues in Lake Buena Vista area. And then the Sunday night Tampa show, two nights later, that was kind of like a partially filled house and just kind of lower energy. But they started really strong in West Palm Beach, and it's always a particular great memory I have. And, you know, the length of the show, just the energy, I always go back to it. It's a nine for me, you know, and sometimes I say it's my favorite show, so that's how I feel. There's just something about just having high energy in about two hours of performance, getting in, getting out, making it happen. Well, hope you enjoy the show. Thanks so much. All right, Jared, thanks for doing that. Good stuff. Thanks. And yeah, at some point you'll get a profile episode, so hang on to that and we'll make it happen throughout you know, all the time differences and everything like that. So, all right, I think it's time to go to the question of the week. Since we are covering Riot Act for the next couple of weeks, it feels like we have to kind of go down memory lane a little bit. There are tons of memorable moments that define not just the year, but define Pearl Jam Live. 
there are obvious moments like Mansfield, MSG, you go to Hamdol and State College and places like that. Like those are pivotal moments. But I wanted to know, I, I, I asked people what they thought the pivotal moments were, but I also kind of wanted to get a little bit of diversity in there. I wanted to see what shows outside of, you know, the more popular stuff that people really liked and people kind of attached to. So we got a mix of answers, and some of those answers ended up being the same, but we're going to read them out loud for you guys right now. Let's start with a pretty obvious one, as we talked about the political aspect of this year, M.O., at O'Connell's brain, he said, Bush leaguer from Nassau Coliseum on April 30th. They got booed, and we all got screwed out of a few songs that were on the set list. I think Smile was one of them, which it was. So, I mean, that's a pretty, when you talk about moments, and I mean, this had a two or three minute little feature run in PJ20. So, yeah, this is considered a pretty important moment, and I guess a little bit controversial the quarters being thrown and everything like that. But this kind of is when you're talking about the year 2003, you have to use this in the story. Absolutely. That's one of the obvious ones. You know, they talk about Matt talks about like, yeah, I didn't ever want to play that song again. And Jeff's like, Oh, I wanted to open it with it every night. It was a divisive moment for the band as well. But yeah, I mean, that's one that a lot of people go back to. Let's go to Rich Turner. And these are all shows we did Nassau, and this one that Rich Turner is going to mention is the Buffalo show from May 3rd. And he said that it was amazing, 30 songs, they broke curfew, and a very underrated set list. And I'll even go a little bit further, because they did some really cool things that night. I believe there was a really good tag off of Wishlist. There was People Have the Power with a fan coming up on stage and holding the lyric sheet up for Ed. Same kind of thing that they did in Albany a few nights before that. And like that's the kind of thing that I see like big moments from 2003 that are just great visuals and kind of great memorable stuff. It doesn't have to be like a full show in general or anything like that, but like that one sticks out because that's a crowd moment that you're almost never going to get. Yeah, Tom Gregory mentioned that on the podcast community group on Facebook, said definitely the Buffalo Wishlist tag improv. I've got one. I don't know if this person is in on what's going on here. Nick Smith says champagne is really good with blue, red, and gray. Stay tuned for next week, Nick. You might be pleasantly surprised. So is Lexington. Crop duster opener is probably not going to happen again. I think he's probably right in that case. Yeah, he's, he's probably right on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd be very surprised if it gets played again. That's yeah. kind of where we're at with that one. Let's go to an obvious one I got from Mike Gagliardi, and he mentions the obvious one, of course. Mansfield Night 3, the acoustic set, could be the single best set ever. It's so good, and it gets better all the way through. Great deep tracks, B-sides, and now some that are considered even deeper tracks. That All or None is untouchable. And then the All Right Stand Up from Ed at Indifference was a big moment as well. What's your favorite performance from that little acoustic set? I'll say probably Off He Goes. I remember Off He Goes being really good from that show. I mean, you throw a dart and you're you're not going to lose on this one, you know? Like, that long road's very good. All those yesterdays. Footsteps is awesome from this. Parting Ways is really good. So, yeah, you can't go wrong. We'll get to talk about that in, let's say, late June, early July. One of those. Uh, What else you got? 
I've got Tanya Davis Evans, who says straight off, nothing will ever top state college. We we understand that. But Fred and I were talking about Nashville 03, speaking of some southeastern shows. The crowd was so awesome at that show, extended several songs as the band decided to feed off the energy and continue jamming with, especially on Black and Alive. Let's look at somebody named Tavoli here. I think we've talked about him on one of these before, but that's what his handle is. And he says the last night of the U.S. tour in Hamdel. It's the first time they played albums in a row. That's including the Merkin Ball record and also the first full hunger strike since Temple of the Dog. That's a little contested because I, I, there is one that happened in Perth in 98 and I haven't listened to it, but it is on live footsteps as being a full version. And then they had all of those that were kind of like half versions in 1996. So yeah, very cool. And obviously Slater Kenny was on that helping out. Of course, uh, Corin Tucker. Oh, great, great versions with Corin. I got one more from Kirk Walton, who says, I can't imagine too many fans have ever gotten on stage to sing a song for Eddie. It happened in St. Paul on that tour. The guy from Fargo got up and sang Luke and Freddie, who was struggling with his voice that night. Dare I say he nailed it. Pretty good. I think I remember that. Yeah, I mean, that's something. When you talk about fan moments, nobody brings that up, you know? The forgotten Lucan moment. I think uh, there was like a pre ed was like, who knows the lyrics? And like this guy, like I think Michael, I think was his name, raised his hand. I think Kirk said that too. And he had to like kind of prove that he knew the lyrics first and then just like busted through it. Yeah, I think that's a cool moment. Good show. I'm going to do one more from Matt Durda and the High Watts. That Matt Durda. Nobody else will probably agree, but I was at the Columbus, Ohio show and it was amazing. Eddie made fun of Good Charlotte and how the Buzzcocks, who opened for them, were the real punk band. They played In Hiding, which was only played four times that year, and Evacuation. Two nice little little gifts coming from that show. Very, very nice. Thanks again, everybody, for all your answers. Great job. Well done. Well, before we get into the show, I think we're going to hear from our good friend, the gear guru, Javier. And Javier is going to talk about a little bit about the gear that they used in 2003 and some of the stuff, you know, Mike used a flying V in this show, not for a lot of songs, but he still used it. And that kind of went by the wayside in the years that followed. And and Stone's using a couple guitars that he hasn't used in the last decade or two. And he's going to talk about that, and he's going to kind of mention what was going on with the gear situation in this year, and a lot of good stuff to hear from him on that. So let him set the table. Here's the gear guru. Hello, Randy. Hello, John. Hello, everyone in the podcast. For this week, we are covering West Palm Beach 2003. And if you have been listening to the show, and if you have been listening a lot of shows in between here and there, and maybe you notice a stone sounds a little bit different. Well, you are right. A stone around this time was using primarily as his lead guitar, Fender Stratocaster Fiesta Red, which is a little bit different to the approach that now he has using more like a gift of Les Paul that is going to give you more bottom end, a little bit more sustain. So around this time, he was using that guitar a lot as his main guitar. If you can see around 2000, 2003, that was the one that it was taking the majority of the songs and then mixing up with a Fender Telecaster that is kind of have been forgotten over time as well. But around this era, it was pretty well used. Stone mainly doesn't use vintage stuff. And I'm just quoting this because in an interview a few years ago with Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, he got asked this 
and he stated that he mainly uses reissues. He, he has some vintage stuff that is more used for recording and for personal purposes. So reissues that have been used around this time and around this era. Lately, you can see him more with Les Pauls, mainly. Sometimes he will mix it up for songs like kind of Daughter, even Flow, stuff like that. On the left side of the stage, Mike around this time was using a Gibson Flying B and a Gibson Firebird rare birds if you want to call them that way and personally i think those guitars should be a little bit more included they have been kind of like put away over time i don't know the reason for that but i thought that i would like to mention that since those are kind of like weird guitars to see them play with and they were being well used around this time all right javier We'll hear from you later when it comes to Daughter. Very excited to get to that. Thanks again for all your great insight. And Javier, by the way, is going to join us on the Evolution episode for Love Boat Captain. He did something pretty cool with that, and we'll be talking about it once we get to Love Boat Captain, once we get to the patron break and everything like that. But that is well worth your time. We did a lot of good research on that. So before the show began, we do have a preset of Ed doing You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. However, it is unavailable to us, so we don't have it. It is worth the mention, though. All right, now let's get into the opener of this show. Here's Long Road. feel like there's a starkness to it well sometimes they'll come out with it and it'll kind of start off a little darker the chords will be really opened up and develop more but it kind of has like a subtle power to it kind of a subtle rise as, as it goes and it doesn't really escalate that far to getting to one of the intense versions of this but it's very good the way that they put it together yeah i thought this was fantastic and it feels like it's been forever since we've covered it on the podcast and maybe that helped i think i mentioned it last week i was looking forward to this one a lot yeah i thought it was i think understated at first like just kind of letting it breathe a little bit but when ed comes in with his voice and like this is a great show 
for a lot of people in the band, but I think Ed's voice is really, really good, especially early on on this, this Long Road. It felt like he was just commanding the whole stage with it. His voice on Long Road is like near perfect, and when it's good like this, it elevates everything. Yeah, like it gets to that ending when his voice goes, and you're just like, oh, you just get chills thinking about it. This was very, very good. And there's something out of Long Road where it seems like all four of these songs that are going to be packed here, it's jam-packed, and it'll kind of stay jam-packed until, like, after Evenflow, but in all four of these songs from Breaker Fall, Corduroy, Animal, and Save You, there is a great vocal performance that you can say out of each four of these songs, you know? Like, he's really going after it at this show, and he's in prime vocal mode for the Riot Act tour. You gotta love it. Yeah, Corduroy and Animal especially, I thought, very, very tight, very, very good. Yeah, I'm even thinking Breakerfall too, just <laughs> that piercing solo that happens at the end, and he's screaming over that. We've seen it a couple of times in, in the past uh, few episodes where we're able to get a Breakerfall that absolutely just destroys the crowd, and yeah, this one really set the tone, and yeah, like, what, what do you think is the highlight of this little bit, though? Would you say it's Corduroy? Ooh. Yeah, probably Corduroy. I mean, we're going to mention Mike a bunch of times here, too. Mike is adding some different stuff over the verses, it seemed like, doing some additional guitar leads. But yeah, I thought Corduroy was definitely the highlight of this section after a long road. Like, band felt like it was tight. A lot of times, Corduroy can be a little looser, but 2003 Corduroy is always just power through, blast through it, and full of energy. Yeah, I loved when Ed belts out the let's go right before they run into the bridge and then Mike is able to take it away. And the look on his face is like he's just so relaxed. You know, it's not one of those intense moments where in black he's got his head up to the ceiling and everything like that. He's just closing his eyes and kind of smiling the whole time like, yeah, this is my job. This is fun for me. It just kind of seems unflappable. It's a very, very good version. I also thought Save You. Yeah, Ed's kind of showing off his chops on Save You as well. Stone taking over on the solo is very good, and then the bass bridge even feels like it's extended a little bit. You're able to hear Jeff very prominently before Ed comes back in with the lyrics. Yeah, it's a really good version. The Stone solos are always good on Save You, but I think it's the one at the very end really takes it over the top. But anytime you can hear Jeff loud and clear on Save You, it's, it's going to be good. Big, massive scream at the end, very intense. Ed just nails it. It feels like every time he had a chance to do that, he's on top of it at this show. Very, very good. Well, we're not going to talk or anything like that. We're just going to keep going for the next couple songs. We got Given a Fly into Crop Duster here. There's only a quick thank you and good evening. That's all that's said before Given a Fly. A little uh, shout out to the palm trees in the distance. You know, made it out to the ocean, had a smoke in one of those trees. And yeah, I mean, both versions kind of complement each other and sound really good. I thought Crop Duster, especially when you talk about complementing each other, Mike and Stone have a really nice blend of guitars here and had a really nice tone on Crop Duster and a really good finish like it always does. This was the one that I noticed Jeff on the most. Like, there's the part where you can really hear Jeff loud and clear, and the, the bass line he's playing on Crop Duster is very, very melodic, very fluid. It's something I hadn't noticed before in the song, and I thought it really added a lot to it. Well, that, all very quick and everything like that, but that gets us to the even flow spot. It's the ninth song in. And, you know, you don't hear a ton of crowd reaction so far on this boot. I mean, everything is like really go, go, go. And Given the Fly isn't really a call and response. 
just yet. I think it comes a little bit later or this one it was very kind of standard when it comes to that, but you don't hear a ton of the crowd reaction on the boot. You are going to hear them as the show goes on. They're going to get better and better. And it's very, very good. You do see a lot of people in the front really enjoying themselves in this video. So that was kind of cool. And, you know, if you're not in on Evenflow in 2003, then you're psycho because this is Mike, as I love to mention, in that little run of State College and Nassau and Buffalo and Albany, Mike has his best performances of Evenflow ever. He's on the hottest of hot streaks during that time. And I think this is like building up to that. Like this isn't the hot streak yet, but this is like, you know, when, when you play an NBA jam and he's heating up, like this is his heating up. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. The solo on Even Flow was good. It sounded like it was starting to kind of wind down a little bit. It felt like they were going to kick back in. But then the vibe of it totally changed and it feels like it gets more jammy and like relaxed and it just felt like they were just content to kind of just sit on it and kind of like meander and let it go where it was going to go. Don't know that I've ever remember covering an even flow that like totally had a switch in tone like that. I think once you get into like 2006, the primers for the camera and jump solo, I think it does get to that level where it kind of takes it down a little bit. But yeah, it doesn't happen very often. But yeah, yeah that's a good point. Mike's little flourishes in the final chorus here are very, very good. I mean, when he just comes in on that, like, it's just another bolt of energy before the song is about to go away, and you're just like, yes, that big solo was big enough, but now what he's doing here, we're all in on this. And then as the theme of one of the parts of the show kind of heats up, a very emphatic Never Vote Republican at the end here, too. So there you have that. Ed's going to really speak to the crowd for the first time here. I don't count the thank you, good evening for about two seconds, but he says that the mountain peak, which is the hill in the back, I'm guessing past the grass area, is the highest point in Florida. And I, it okay. might be a it, joke. Calling a mountain peak in West Palm Beach is pushing it. I'm guessing it was just a medium-sized hill. So whether he's right or wrong about that... That's something else. I don't know about Florida's elevation at all, but he says small town goes out to the highest people in Florida. A very good folksy version. It's going to be small town and a love boat captain here. And you really get to feel, I think, the crowd's impact for the first time. Ed gives them opportunity and kind of lets them go. And now you're able to feel like they're part of the show. They, you know, they get the hearts and thoughts. They fade, fade away and they're kind of like intertwined here now and i think this this is sort of the first step to getting them more involved and then you're able to really in the encore and the second encore really feel them the most so yeah anytime they get a shout out like that they're gonna get into it but yeah perfect time to do small town and like we're getting into the back half of the main set here i think this is really where the show starts to take off and then turn into something really good a lot of my favorite performances from this night are going to be in this back half here so we started off with Love Boat Captain, why not? And we have a lot of experience talking about Love Boat Captain lately because actually the night before recording this, we recorded the Love Boat Captain Evolution episode. So I, I wanted to kind of tie in some themes of that episode into this and how it kind of spurned and became the song. And I think a lot of it, we talked in that episode, a little preview for you guys, I guess, is that the song like really starts out kind of dark 
and once it kind of builds and kind of has that rise in between the song you feel it finding a resolve within and then at the end the whole all you need is love part like you're starting to find the light you're starting to find a way out and you're starting to be kind of consoled here those are kind of the aspects of the song that really maybe define a little bit of what they were going through with Ross killed at the time because Ed would say at one of the performances that was a tribute to this that he would say it was the worst day of our entire lives to kind of have that sense in the beginning where you're putting that to the table and then there's some anger and frustration that you can even feel in the middle there like I think he paints the picture of what it's like to grieve all throughout the five minutes in the song. Yeah, there's a subtle lyric change that I thought was very telling. He changes it to, you know, that's just one word that we still believe. Part of the thing we talked about was like trying to bring everyone together and heal and then trying to get the crowd going on the song and doing it after even flow in small town here, I think is very deliberate in trying to build off of that and give Lobo Captain a prime spot in this set here. They do do a little bit of the love call and response here, which is always cool early on. You can tell Ed's trying to extend that and make it more of a big moment and get the crowd going on it and like make it part of the process of feeling. Because we think of, you know, Roscoe was 2000, this is 2003, but they hadn't played many shows since then. And obviously this is still on their minds, obviously. But yeah, Lobo Captain, a really powerful version here. You know, not one that we really focused on on the Evolution episode, but a good one nonetheless. Yeah, this is a good mic solo on this one, that's for sure. And all around this time, very early in, in April, Mike was pulling out some really cool stuff. And even in June, Mike was really tearing this apart. And I think a lot of it is due to that just sort of high-pitched, almost organ kind of sound that comes from his guitar. And we'll talk about that. Actually, Javier will when we get into the episode. And that'll be on Patreon. I might as well pull the plug now. It'll be out before we're done talking about the 2003 show so we'll do champagne pittsburgh and it'll be out somewhere in the middle of all that so yeah i mean it's probably like two hours plus i didn't think we'd get to talk about like 30 versions that are mentioned but just about every version we're gonna be able to talk about and yeah for anybody that loves kind of the nerdy details about why songs are written and why songs are played where they are and why songs are played how they are. This will touch up on all of that. This is the 21st Evolution episode that we've done, and this is the first, actually, 2000s song that we did. So it was definitely a challenging one, and if that's stuff that you guys are really into and learning more about the history of singular songs, I suggest you just head on over to Patreon, patreon.com. I'll tell it again a little bit later and sign up. It's only a dollar a month just to hear this stuff, and it goes a long way into helping us achieve our goals for the future with tours and everything like that.
follow-up to that goes into another Riot Act song. There are a couple Riot Act songs that don't get played much more than 15 to 20 times, and this one is one. And Ghost is going to follow up on Love Boat Captain. I, I'm wondering, what if a daughter or Jeremy followed up on Love Boat Captain? It felt like a lot of momentum was built there. And I don't know if it died at Ghost, but it kind of didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I think they were trying to make Love Boat Captain like the crashing of the wave. I think he was testing out, let's see if Love Boat Captain can take that energy and get it going and then be the big moment. Even after Ghost, they do a couple of deep cuts before getting back to the Riot Act stuff. I thought I thought Ghost was fine. A lot of times Ghost can be rough. But yeah, I thought it got a, a nice reaction at the beginning. You could tell a couple of people were into it. And I thought they got through it very, very well. I like this a lot. Only the seventh performance of its 21 performances, honestly. I thought it was more like 15 performances, so that kind of left my head a little bit. But yeah, almost never, ever played. I guess you got to go to the same show as the Greek over there. But I was lucky enough to do that. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nope. It's uh, still on my plate, I suppose. Yeah. Whipping is going to follow up on that. And Whipping had a really nice groove to it. I love when they kind of go back to what the album original sound is like, because sometimes when they do whipping, and it was even in that era of 94 and 95, they just go all out with it. And I don't think this was really one of the versions where it's just like, all right, balls to the wall, but the groove kind of allows it to get that way. At the beginning, it kind of almost plotted in a way before it developed into the song. And I was like, hmm didn't really feel like the traditional whipping intro. It didn't have the exact bite, but the song had the bite. I was watching this, whipping came on, and I was not looking at looking at the set list at this time, and came on, I was like, oh wow, like that's a perfect time to do this. It felt really earned. A really good placement of whipping to come after a couple of Rydex songs to go back to something from Vitalogy that's fast, and they do do four Vitalogy songs here. There's a couple in the encore. But I thought this was fantastic. Like, again, some really good performances in the back half of this main set. There's a moment in the video where you you don't get to see Mike a lot, but you get to see Mike for like two seconds, and he's just, he's in midair, he's jumping, he's got his head down, he's thrashing on the guitar. This was a great performance of whipping. And yeah, again, I, I'm with you. Like, the 2003, like, let the groove kind of, like, breathe on it. Not compared to some of the other ones. Whipping's still fast, but... I thought it really got to a nice place, and you could tell, like, Stone and Mike just driving that thing completely. Well, speaking of driving, that's a perfect segue into the next song, which I guess the driving part would come a little bit into it, but this is something that we really haven't heard before. It's going to be Untitled, but before they play Untitled, which was at one point an improv, they play an improv. I can't hear 
let's get the fuck out of here Get out of here fast I'm so confused This world's so confused It's not me Cause you're not home I was planning on being there in 22 minutes or so We don't have to pack no things I have to give Stone all the credit for this Because it's definitely Stone that's kind of the centerpiece in this and it feels very reminiscent to some of Neil Young's more soulful and atmospheric kind of sound like when it's just Neil and a very faint percussion in the background and you're just kind of able to feel like one or two notes at a time just sort of ring out that's what this felt like and it felt like some of these notes were like shooting stars almost like you're able to kind of hear them as they go off into the distance it's very very good he even takes that he puts it into when untitled hits and then takes it even further and then that beginning in mfc it transfers over to that too but what about the improv here is so special john because this is just something that we've never witnessed on the song before at all yeah, and it's it's funny that you mention Neil Young because this reminded me a lot of those 1995 improvs that they were doing. A lot of very stark, like very open, atmospheric type stuff. I think the lyrics here he says something like, "You know, I'm lost. I can't help where my mind goes. Lost and found, where I'll end up, no one knows." Neil Young is is a good call in 1995. Mirabal, that was a lot of big influence on them. Yeah, I absolutely love this. I think it would have fit perfectly in with a lot of that stuff from 1995 that they were doing, like, and then ties into the Untitled, which is extended and also very, very good, like a little bit of a three-headed monster here. And I thought it all just built to a really good MFC again with Stone just completely on fire. Yeah, a lot of lyric changes in that Untitled, too. Like, that just sort of makes sense within what they were Always doing in like the improv. Yeah. You know, I've got I've got nothing but you, and that's okay. Like, little, little things. And, and that's kind of its own little part of it at the end, which is just, yeah, just wonderfully done. And then it's all MFC from there. And you get the strumming, just intensity, very punky on this version. It felt like it had that speed, and that was really driving a pace. That kind of kept that up. But here, once again, we have Stone going off at the end and doing a solo at the end, just kind of capping what his whole entire performance for this little section is. And he was the MVP of what is probably the highlight of the night on this. I, I can't get over it. It's just, it's fantastic. And also, must be mentioned here that when Ed does the get the fuck out of here fast line, that whole crowd implodes. Yeah, the crowd really gets into that, so... They're also looking forward to getting out of Florida. Well, (laughs) I mean, you flash forward 20 years and, hmm, gee, nothing's really changed, huh? You probably want to get out of Florida much quicker now.
You Are and Half Full are going to be the final two Riot Act songs of the night. Weird. I Am Mine was not played at the show. You just kind of by default think that yeah. I Am Mine was played every single night here, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the few where I wasn't. Right. I remember looking up the stat one time, and I think Save You was only missed at one show, too. Hmm. So I, I don't remember what the number was on I Am Mine, but really weird that it wasn't in here. Love this version of You Are. Little flourishes of the B3 that seep in are very, very good. But overall, the tone and command of the song what gets you hooked on it. And with this, I think this back-to-back combo kind of left me wanting a little something that I didn't think was possible. And that is, you know, an album track reconfiguration here where these two songs can be back-to-back because these blended in really, really well had a really nice transition for the both of them and kind of felt like, you know, where you are is a little bit more relaxed and grooved. It felt like half full coming out of that. It's kind of a yin to a yang. Really, really good stuff here. Oh, yeah. I thought half full was one of the big highlights. You know, people really get into like retracking binaural because of all the B-sides and extra stuff that that had come out. But you, you could make a point, too, if you sat down and, and reburked Riot Act a little bit, it could be a, a lot different sounding of a record and maybe something that would have been a little more, I don't know, successful is not the right word, but a little more polished and flowed a little better. But I'd put down in the ghost spot. Oh, That's what oh, I would do. Yeah. Yeah, Down absolutely needs to be on there. Half Full, I thought Mike just outstanding performance. There's a moment too you get to see a little bit of Ed doing the light reflecting off of his guitar. And then the, the ending jam on Half Full is just fantastic. Again, how has this only been played 77 times? Like, this is one that if they had just spent a little more time with it, if it had maybe gotten a little more of a chance, it just needed that one moment to catapult it into more of a prime spot. But would love to hear Half Full more. has this platform in an extended period of time it's going to work for the crowd because especially around this tour like mike is the showman and mike will always be the showman from here on out like it wasn't necessarily the case before that but now mike is very comfortable enough in his own skin and more extroverted in a way to really come into the spotlight and and make it about him so yeah Maybe when you think about it, like other songs where he gets a solo and he gets a solo in just about half the songs on every record. So you're thinking, okay, we have a lot of mic moments for this show because we need to play new stuff and all that. And maybe because you do have even flow at every show, it's just like, well, all right, half full. We got to leave it off a little bit because we need to give everybody else their moments and stuff like that. But 
yeah, I think it is a good argument that it should have been in the set a little bit more over the last couple years. And who knows where it's going to be once we get into shows or don't get into shows later this year, but I think it's getting into shows. Who knows where Riot Act songs are even going to be by that point. But Yeah, they only played it once last year in Budapest, and I remember that being a really good version, too. It should have stuck yeah. around State of Love and Trust is a good one from this night because there's something very, very cool transpiring in it. And it feels like this is kind of the memorable visual from the show. Now, last week, and I don't remember if I cut this from the episode or not, but I had brought up in a spot where we're talking about cell phones, I had brought up that I was surprised that there was never a moment where Ed told a crowd member, hey, put your cell phone down. And we kind of discussed that for a little bit and might have been on the bonus features. I guess this moment proves that that wasn't something that he did because he sees somebody holding up his phone. It's like a little Nokia. Didn't even have. Right. I don't even know if it was a flip. I think it was just one of those flat ones. And he's holding it up, you know, probably calling a friend or something like that. Somebody who couldn't be at the show. Maybe somebody they know his favorite song, State of Love and Trust. He's holding it up. And Ed kind of notices it, and he sends two fingers over, like, hey, throw that over to me, and grabs the phone, puts it right by the mic, and sings right into the mic at it. And he even kind of like, I don't remember what lyric it was, but he kind of changed a lyric as he was singing directly into that. Did you catch that? No, I don't remember there being a, a lyric change, but... Either a lyric change or just like an embellishment on something, a different vocal rhythm that he was putting into the song. It was a, it was a little something different, though. It's a cool visual because the video is really close up on his face. You just see him kind of catch the phone in midair and then start singing into it. It really does look like he's just singing to the phone. He's not kind of holding it in front of him. He's just kind of got it up to his ear, like doing the thing. How cool would that have been for for someone on the other line? Like, you're in the crowd, you're like, hey, I'm going to throw this up to Ed, he's going to sing to you. Like, toss the phone up, and then you're getting getting Ed right in your ear. That's insane. Yeah, I wonder if that person... First of all, I wonder if reception was even good enough at at an amphitheater where they were even able to hear anything. And I wonder if the person on the other line actually knew that Ed had grabbed the phone because, I mean, a lot of this, and I don't know with everything going on on stage and speakers and stuff like that, would you even be able to hear anything? Probably. Yeah, I would think so. There's there's monitors and stuff like that. Yeah, I would just think it would be really loud. And I'm not sure if it would just, like, kind of all the noise just kind of get interrupted at once. But, hey, if you're... On stage is different from outside because the PA speakers are obviously facing out towards the crowd. If you're actually on the stage, it's just just based on monitors and amps, so they can control a little bit more of, like, how loud it is and what the sound is like. Yeah, I wonder if that person on the other line, and hey, if you were on the other line, or hey, if that was your phone... Our phone is open, so hey, we're gonna do this. Uh, we're gonna do a show later this year where there's another cell phone moment, and we do have the recording of it. So we'll look forward to that. Ed, after he's done, he puts the phone in his pocket, like, oh, this is mine now, and you can tell it kind of loosens him up a little bit, like he's kind of having some fun with it. Has a little tongue-in-cheek wink there, and then another performance at the end where Mike just completely shows off and goes yeah. nuts at the end. This is a really energetic state of love and trust. Yep. 
fully agree. Yeah, some really cool things that happen, and you know, with all the stories that people told, I'm I'm surprised something like this doesn't get told when people are reminiscing about this tour. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this is a thing that that should be talked about and remembered. And you know, I guess it's it's us that has to take that responsibility to to share it with the rest of you. So happy to do it. Ed here, before getting into a live to close the set, said a friend bumped into another guy that I met last time that we were here. Last time I saw him, we had our picture taken together. He had a nice shiny head due to the chemotherapy that he'd been going through. His name is Nick Mason. Two years later, he's got a thick head of curly hair, and I want to dedicate this song to him. Right on, Nick. Nicely done. Beaten cancer. Not the Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, I assume. Yeah, that would be really screwed up if that was that kind of shout out, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. You'd think that he would know him a little better, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Alive here, like, I just thinking right away with the dedication, there's always something more impactful about a song when you know that they're playing it for somebody and they're thinking about somebody during it. And it felt like this kind of had that vibe. And Alive at this time is still sort of getting over the hump of being that post Ross killed kind of malaise with it and not yet breaking the curse yet, but it still feels very confident and powerful and becomes like the resilient song that everybody knows and loves. I don't think it's the party moment just yet, but that's why playing it in the main set as the main set closer, I think is a perfect spot for it because it kind of leaves you wanting more. It was starting to become a little more anthemic because it, for a while it, it wasn't that. And you could tell, like, it was starting to show a little bit of the color that it would start to show, you know, a few years later. But again, Mike just putting on a show here on the live. for station identification and talk a little bit about Le Patreon. Patreon, as we talked about earlier, yes, the Love Boat Captain Evolution episode will be out in the matter of days, week, not much longer than that, we promise, but we're going to get it to you in a good amount of time. And yeah, like we said, we'll just go through the whole entire song's history and a lot to talk about with tributes, dedications, and and the revitalized jam that comes up in 2014. I know a lot of people are really excited to get to talking about that. That was probably our most requested version when putting it out on Twitter. So that should be really exciting. And if you want to listen to that, but not just that, but the Evolution episodes in general, they're all over on Patreon. We've done a ton in the past. John, what do you remember of Evolution episodes that we've done in the past, like right off your head? I mean, all of them pretty much have been excellent, but what what do you remember um, as some of the best? Present Tense, that one felt like it really had a, a nice arc to it. 
with everything going on with the last dance and everything and the kind of resurgence of that song that was a fun one to do even going back to like i think rearview mirror was a lot of fun going back and digging into to try to find those epic versions of rearview mirror and given to fly the one from just a couple of years ago one of the more recent ones i thought was really good too but i mean just getting to do these and we're only on number 21 so kind of getting to pick and choose our favorites and some of the ones that have had kind of the best story and the best arc has been really cool. They've all been really fun to do. And we kind of mentioned, and I don't think we were even thinking about this when we decided upon Love Boat Captain, but the 20 year anniversary, it does make sense that we'd put it out right now where we're kind of celebrating this anniversary, but there are other anniversaries this year when it comes to yield and the yield tour. And when it comes to the versus tour that we're going to get into in the fall and even lightning bolt. So I'm wondering here if we got some stuff up our sleeve that we can kind of get all four of these years represented as we're going to represent them on the show as well. What do you think? Certainly possible. If I was a patron, I'd definitely be checking that thing over the summer and uh, keeping it refreshed every couple of days, but checking my email, making sure those alerts were coming. But uh, yeah, 2013 and Lightning Bowl, like, wouldn't be hard to go through all the versions. You know, you're not looking nope. at not looking at some with hundreds and hundreds of versions. So it could be a quick turnaround on something like that. You never know. Yeah, and I have one that I really, really want to do that would take us like two days to research, and that's it. Maybe even just one day. But I really want to do it because I think there's a different hook. So I'll let you guys guess. It's one of the 12. (laughs) I'll just put it that way. But yeah, all right. If you want to listen to any of this stuff and some of my favorite Evolution episodes, Immortality, I really like the WMA one that we did. That was at the end of last year. We did Crazy Mary, which was really good. We touched up on a lot of different versions of that, long versions too, of course. And yeah, release, footsteps, like all these, we really dug pretty deep into the song and figured out what it all meant and how it was all put together. So I recommend just going through if you have the time if you listen to this weekly and you have a little bit of time you know summer's starting to come spring starting to come and you might be driving a little bit more if you need some more content to be listening to that i would just suggest please head on over and just do yourself a favor and and go listen i know it's talking ourselves up but i wouldn't talk ourselves up if i thought we put out crap let me just put it that way we think it's good then it gets our seal of approval and we believe that you should be listening to it. So the way to do that is to head on over to Patreon and give us a small or large donation, whatever you choose. It could be $1 a month. It could be $5 a month. It could be $10 a month. $1 a month is all that you need to listen to all this content. And boy, there's a lot of it. We've been doing this for almost five years now. So the $5 tier will get you an episode request kind of like today was, but Jared actually is a Horizon Leg patron, which will get you a profile episode. We're working on a little merch package for our Horizon Leg patrons, everything like that. So the Horizon Leg will get you a little bit more for donating $10 a month and a profile on the website as well. Can't forget about that. So that's stuff that you want out of this podcast and more so love the content and everything like that. And yeah, with a possible tour coming up. We are going to be doing specific tour recap shows again, which I know everybody really liked. So head on over. It's patreon.com slash live on four legs. Go to the Patreon app. 
download that and search for Live on Four Legs, or just go to liveonfourlegs.com, enjoy the Concertpedia for a while, and read our articles and everything that comes out of there. And then, once you're done, click the orange Become a Patron button, and you're in. Let's just take a quick minute and thank David Montiunis, who was a patron for a while and then got off of Patreon, is now a patron again. He's somebody that got to meet over when we did the Slatteries event at that bar before the MSG show, and that was awesome, and he's been a part of the Christmas gift exchange for the last couple of years, so great to have David back, and I know he really loves the Evolution episodes and the content, too, and I hope that he didn't fall for the even flow one right as he was joining back up. Well, oh, at, least you're getting, cool. yeah. at least you're getting something very soon. All right, back to the rock. We're going to start out. You mentioned the Vitalogy songs. Yep, they're going to come pretty quick up here. And Last Exit, speaking of pretty quick, is going to be the first one. Now, what's this lyric change? When am I going to find my ass? When am I find my ass? I wonder what was going on during that encore break. Because there's, <laughs> there's another one in Do the Evolution that's going to come that's a little bit like, huh? Makes it kind of yeah. like cock your head a little bit but yeah ed's in a little bit of a mood on this encore yeah you don't really know what universe he's on but yeah it had awesome energy from the start and to the finish like they were really pushing the pace pretty big at the end yeah pretty good version of this and i like how in 2003 they were starting to implement it in this encore spot something that they hadn't done at all throughout the tenure of last exit this was really kind of an early set kickoff kind of song or it was kind of even a mid-set back in 95 96 so yeah like that they put it here i think it was a nice little placement so before i'm a patriot ed mentions here there's a guy holding a copy of the flag and this song is for the flag and it's going to be the very stark and stompy version of i am a patriot where it's just ed and matt and we've talked about this a couple of times on the show before it's a very tense rendition like the guitar in there is just very very subtle and and ed's playing those notes it kind of has this dark touch and every now and again in between beats you'll get matt kind of plucking a tom or a snare and going boom and really kind of throwing that impact in there that sounds good but it's totally different than the i'm a patriot that you might know from a more recent era because they don't go into any of the and the river should have opened they don't do that at all it's kind of taking the song and sort of deconstructing it a little bit to make it sort of i guess fit the attitude of the political landscape of the time yeah very very dark you could tell that again he's got something on his mind here i think the lyric change here is i was i was drunk on wine that was the only way i could ease my mind if you go through you know show by show on this tour you can see him kind of starting to slowly lose his mind a little bit as far as what's going on in the country but yeah i think this is my favorite conversion of patriot the way they do it this way the slow version where it's a little more like you said stark and kind of again letting that kind of atmosphere around it breathe a little bit i think this is really really strong and really really powerful he really extends that freedom line too it gives me goosebumps right 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 oh the one that hit me was when he changes the sure's hell ain't no republican either and he says sure's fuck ain't that other thing and he won't even say the word yeah, for that. Yeah, can't even say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and then they do that river should open for the righteous line and it just every hit on that is just like ooh this keeps getting more and more intense as it goes and we don't get a lot of this version but yeah this is not something that's discussed a whole lot when talking about 2003 but i think it should be just because it's kind of one of those staples of the era for sure here crowd is chanting usa afterwards not sure of what context they're chanting in but you do hear the chants and i mean that's going to be very prominent in a couple of weeks after this where you're going to hear it from a certain crowd that we talked about earlier and you know he responds he's like i hear you brother usa it's a great fucking country right I used to work midnight shifts as a security guard. Matt used to work at a Kinko's. USA is a great fucking country, yeah? I'd say one of the greatest things about it is that you have the right to speak your opinion, no matter what it is, and you have the right to have your own culture and own opinion and right to express it. That's what makes our country great. It isn't Pizza Huts and Walmarts on every corner. That's not what makes our country great at all. The fact that we want to put Walmarts over every corner in Germany, that doesn't make us great. And the fact that our president, who I love, obviously, little wit and sarcasm here. Here's a fact. Here's my opinion for you. I think that these guys that we support over there, young men and women, a lot of them poor folks looking for somewhere to take them, looking for education, looking for money to start a family with. The fact that they can take poor folks, sometimes uneducated, and put them over there, don't pay them shit, to have the cojones to go out and try to get the tax breaks for the rich at the same time these people are fighting for our freedom. I'm calling bullshit on that. And I think that kind of led to the crowd to a nice ovation there. It seemed like it was a little either side at first and it seems like he brought in the bipartisan crowd at the end yeah this is like a little warm-up to union dale i think he'd already practiced this speech by the time he got there mm-hmm. yeah he he says in that that same speech in, in union dale he says i worked at a gas station i love yep. america yep. so yeah very reminiscent of that and the crowd for their patience and their their listening and Ed kind of sounding off on that. Ed gives them a pretty great moment for a crowd in response and better man. And he just kind of points over, gets them to recite the title line right back to them. And yeah, very good. But the political tag is, is back in here. You kind of got them sandwiched together with this speech in the middle of Patriot and better man. But he does it at the end during the tag.
Dr. Patriot definitely takes some of that energy from that speech and, and channels it a little bit. All right, well, we're going to get to our rarity section here. It's going to be Down, which is being played for the sixth time ever. It was just a B-side at that point, and then we're going to get to the big ultra-rare one right after, but we'll talk about Down a little bit right here. And Ed would actually admit in other versions of the song, like right beforehand, is like introducing it as this should have been on the record. And as I I mentioned before, I fully wholeheartedly agree with him. That Crop Duster Ghost section, I think, kind of needed a more popular song to get to I Am Mine. Yeah, I think that construction probably would have balanced it out really well. Yeah, for only being the sixth version, this is a very good version of Down. Again, doesn't feel like it fits in, but has a little bit of a political bent to it. But the cool thing about this, I thought was the ending, they do a really interesting like kind of stop-start thing at the end where you can really hear the reverb on, I think, Stone's guitar. It was really, really interesting and cool. Like, we sometimes, like, kind of take down for granted a little bit because he, he has said that so many times. Like, oh, yeah, it should have been on the record. It feels like they played it a bunch, but, you know, early on still, you know, Lost Dog's still not out yet, like you mentioned, so people don't really know it. Right, yeah, this is kind of more of a treat than it would be later. And I know in later years when you do get sets and you're looking for rarities and you see, like, Down is kind of one of the rare songs I've been to a show like that where Down was kind of considered the lost dog. And I was like, uh, I've seen this a lot. This is not like it's really that rare anymore. But, you know, back then, that's all they can think about is just, like, presenting a B-side to this crowd. And the crowd reacted to it very well. You're right, the, the breakdown at the end was very, very good. It's doing the na-na-na-na-na, hey, na-na. And that's all very good there and uh probably one of the best sections of the song for sure but it's not the rarest song of the night all i'd had to say was all right here's one we haven't played for fucking ages and 88 shows since I last played it in Budapest 1996 here comes glorified version of I like this song now San Diego 1995 is the glorified version of I hate this song and I'm wondering here you know whose idea was it to play this again and I'm wondering if the band was into it and it's a, it's a pretty good performance it's a pretty good performance however it seems like stone is taking a different approach with it and he's doing his backups and they're uh let's just say not practiced maybe he didn't practice them in soundcheck they did this a couple times in soundcheck and they're all over the place 
way out of tune. It kind of reminded me of like a country jamboree kind of band where they're like a washboard and you know a jugglers yeah Yeah. and kind of the way like those backup vocals kind of sound and just a lot he looks over at either ed or jeff and kind of gives them a smirk at one point i wonder if he's the outlier in this it's like i don't really want to play this song but they're doing it I could see that. I could see that. You know, we do know that Stone is more of the play the hits guy, but I gotta think this is Ed's idea. You know, being the first in seven years, it does sound pretty good. You know, there's not a lot of signs of rust on it. And I think it looked like Ed was the one who was really into it. He felt like he was putting the most into it in any way. Yeah, and it sounded good, and, and that's strange because we've gone through other versions in 2003 that don't sound good at all. They sound like they're not in the pocket at all. They kind of get outpaced, and it's kind of like Stone not meshing well with Mike, and, and some of those versions have that, but it's kind of amazing that after all this time, as Matt Cameron's first time playing it, mind you, that they don't have a bad version of it at all. Like, yeah, Mike sounds really, really good on the solo, and it doesn't go off the handles at all, so more power to them. Very, very good. All right, we're closing out the set with Do the Evolution here, and yeah, Ed is all over the place in this version. He misses the first line. It says, the I call to Earth, but now I'm high part very early quickly acknowledges his mistake and says if i keep fucking it up soon i'll be fired and it just kind of led to this version where the energy was there and the song was there but ed is just kind of tapping into anything can happen there's a part where you know the i'm the first man to wear my corduroy pants and he does this corduroy pants he does that you know you don't see him drinking at this show but i wonder if like he's just kind of in that mindset that you were talking about. Yeah, I gotta think like there was maybe a quick downing of, of something during the encore break because, you know, ramshackle is a little bit rough of a word for this, but it's more on the looser side. Yeah, and that could be a good thing because at the yeah. end, we have Ed and Stone that are just going out there so you think you can dance and just kind of bobbing and shaking. I don't even know if you consider it dancing, but they were moving. Ed doesn't really usually dance like that, so maybe it's like, you know, Ed's going to be a dad in like a year from then. Maybe it's just some of their cool dad moves, you know? Could be. I'll have to take note on that if I want to be a cool dad. But anyway, we have a second encore and three more songs to cover. Ed asks the crowd if they're still here, and as I mentioned before, this crowd at this point is juiced and fire like they love this show you can absolutely tell that they've had a blast and you know main set i think it was just sort of developing into that it's such a good thing because sometimes crowds can let it all out in the beginning and then when it comes to the end and you're getting closer to two and a half three hours crowds are like okay We've been here for a long time, like, we're older, we're in our 40s, and, like, maybe we just don't have that energy to finish up the same way. But this is different. Like, the crowd is holding up. They're, they know that the big moments are going to be held to the end, and they really show their best in Encore too. I'll give them a lot of credit for that. Daughter is going to be the first before we get into, you know, Ledbetter and Baba. Daughter's very 
noteworthy here for a couple different reasons. But Stone's guitar sounded maybe a little hollow sounding on this. It kind of had that folky vibe. Not Gretsch hollow, but same kind of vibe here. And I asked Mr. Javier, he's going to come back on and tell you guys right now what this is all going to develop into once they get into the tag because then Stone's guitar gets into something a little bit more effect heavy and really kind of switching that up and switching riffs and echo on it sounds really really good also speaking of echo that kind of is what you hear from Ed's mic on this too there's a lot of echoey reverby sounds so let's hear from Javier what about this that makes this important super spacey well if, if you hear the recording that's how it feels like its voice is pretty well mixed up with uh, a lot of delay and the stone has this very gentle like kind of tape echoey delay in the back uh, something that you can find on his pedal board specifically because he was using the line 6004 around this time as well i kind of miss that from stone in the latest tour he was doing so much more of that because the gigaton songs they needed that more reverbs more delays more kind of space in between certain parts and yeah it's very fun just to hear that he can create so much with just one little detail and make the song huge and it sounds super 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 nice over that wet mix that they were trying to get at the end of the daughter tag Shades go Once again, I, I failed to mention this. I was going to mention this in the Patreon break. However, you know, we have about a week to go before Javier and I, and also Dukes and Aaron and, and Lori, are all going to be in Seattle to celebrate Mopop, one of the last days that Mopop is going to be up. And then over at Easy Street, we're going to be celebrating Record Store Day and going to see The Rockford. So, yeah, can't wait. I can't believe it's a week away. So, I'm sure you'll get all the updates on social media we'll go to all the hot spots you know where they recorded this and that and all that so stay tuned for that and let's not bury the lead thanks javier for all the work that you do on this fantastic stuff yep now what do you think of how this all went down and and we'll get into the tag in in a second or two but just the kind of overall vibe of this and even when the crowd gets involved yeah, this is a really interesting spot for Daughter in this little three-song encore, too. Because coming off of that encore one, you're like, where is this going to go? And to come out with this really jammy, introspective version of Daughter is a little weird. But there is a really long jam. 
the call and response I think after that is really cool but I love the Sleater Kenny tag on this dig me out I think they tagged it on porch and you know Sleater Kenny opened this show so giving them a little love in the encore has a nice touch thinking right now why dig me out and not modern girl because there was no modern girl at the time that was part of the woods record that i believe came out in 2005 and when they were on tour with slater kinney in canada that's when they started to really bust out modern girl for the first time and kind of make it a a staple of their set during not for you but yeah I love the two, you know, it's so weird because if you're not a Slater Kinney fan here, dig me out the way that Ed does it here. It's nothing like the actual song. The, the actual song is very just high pitched and fast and garage rock energy. And, you know, it kind of turns it into this summer. Dig me out. It's very cool when he's able to kind of take some of the songs that make no sense to be in a daughter tag and figure out how they can be intertwined. It was cool. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of the like noise of carpet and stuff like that. Sure, I can see that. All right, the last two to close the night. It's going to be Ledbetter and Bob O'Reilly. And this is a very typical 2003 version of Ledbetter where Ed is kind of going off the cuff with some improv lyrics kind of pertaining to what's happening in the world at that moment. The Gulf War was kind of what Ledbetter was written about, and it was written about a friend who had recently lost his brother, and people on the porch, you know, as they were kind of saluting a flag, looking at them because they were kind of raggedy Gen X kids, and thinking, like, get off my lawn kind of thing. And I feel like that is sort of brought up in this song in a little way, because it it seems like he kind of references that moment a little bit more specifically here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You get little hints, especially in 2003, of like kind of the meaning behind Yellow Better. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And, you know, obviously it's anti-war and everything like that. So yeah. it's going to have all those tie-ins that you got in the first encore as well. And again, one of the major themes for 2003. It's no surprise there. But yeah, mostly after 2004, they would go on and kind of do Better regularly again, where Ed wouldn't know the lyrics at all. So... Mike sounded really good on here. He has a little piece at the end that, that really sounded great. And you kind of think, well, it's a lead better. It's probably all over. You'd be wrong. He says, thank you to everybody, but you're going to get a Baba before we get out of here. And I think the story from Baba is that Ed's got a rocket arm. You know, he could have been an outfielder 
in alternate universe because he takes that tambourine and it looks like he sends it into the night and maybe it went on that mountain over back there the, the, that highest point in Florida because he yeah. really he really flings it over there made it made it to Cuba All right mm-hmm. he does it twice and then there's another time where he throws it and it looks like he decapitates somebody's head in front it just <laughs> kind of falls short and you're like alright well that one didn't work at least he got two of them in but this is the the party atmosphere song. Everybody's screaming teenage wasteland and and doing that call and response part and they're having fun. I think this show needed to go out like this. If it just went out like Ledbetter, I don't think that would have been fair to the fans. I think they needed a celebratory moment. So this was very good. Yeah, I, I agree. And like a short encore too, like you didn't need something extended like a big rocket in the free world or leaving here, I think would have been too short but yeah bob o'reilly's perfect it everyone knows that everyone gets a scream along so you send everyone home happy all right well let's see if we send you guys home happy let's pick three stars of this show i believe you're the first goer this week if i'm not yeah, mistaken yeah. i'm gonna go number three i'm a patriot number two state of love and trust and number one is the improv and untitled well, I got to change mine up a little bit because I had mainly those three as, as yeah, some of the yeah, top if you wanna, ones. You know, we, can, yeah. we, can, we can put an exclamation point on it. Well, yeah, I know. I, and I really had them in that order, too. But now I, I just I just don't want to be the same. I'm going to say that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to switch out I'm a Patriot my number three is going to be State of Love and Trust because that's just a cool moment with, with the phone and everything like that. My number two is going to be Daughter because, yeah, that was an extended tag and not something they really dig into that deeply. And then Dig Me Out, of course, is a nice little touch to it. And then, yeah, hands down the number one. I won't switch this because you have it, but uh, hands down the number one is Untitled MFC. It was Absolutely perfect. One of the best versions of that song. When you think of 1998 and what we were saying before about evolution episodes could be in the running. So hang on to that thought. All right, let's rate the show. This one was uh, exceeded expectations, I think. You know, this is one of the ones that that doesn't get a lot of renown from this year, but did have a lot of good moments in it. Some stuff that I'll probably go back to. I'm going to give this an eight and a half. Okay. I agree with that, that it exceeded expectations. And I think that, you know, even after the main set, I thought the main set was like, it was good, but they were missing like a vibe for the show. Like it just feel, felt like a little bit of, Hey, let's throw all these songs out there and they'll like them, which is true. They will like them. And, and they did. And it felt like there wasn't a lot of room for this to be like a, a cooperative crowd kind of show. And they came out in the encore and did just that. And that in itself, I think, you know, bumped it up a little bit for me. And I'm going to say, cause yeah, the expectations were definitely not as high on this one, but I'm going to say this is an eight for me. Good show. Yeah. Good show. And, and 2003, there's not a lot of stinkers if there are any. And yeah, this one should be listened to. Because you like the band and you like the history of the band. And, you know, it's all about kind of listening to the songs and studying them. And definitely some of these versions are, are worth going after. So we kind of said it in the three stars over there. But, you know, you guys know the deal. All right. We're continuing on next week. 
Next week is going to be one I've been waiting to cover for a very, very long time. And we kind of mentioned it before, where I think it was Nick who suggested that this show was a great show and and had the moment of blue red gray that's in it and that kind of makes for a great memory and all that but yeah champagne 2003 is next week's homework oh boy what are you thinking i mean this is this is a classic one yeah yeah a lot of covers so you know. look uh, look forward to that mhm that's all right six it's, cover songs it's about performances too though and yep. some of those are maybe can be contested in some of the best of 2003. So we'll get to talking about a lot of that. And then afterwards, the, the next week, we're going to do Pittsburgh. So that's, yep, all 2003 goodness. And then after that, who knows? Who knows? We could just do something from 2022, which I think we're going to do. So that, for all you guys that you know are more recent and have been to the shows more recently than back in the day, then those will be the show for you in early May. So, well, I think that's all we got to say about this one. Just a reminder for all you guys, if you want to help the show and help us get a little bit more visibility, wherever you listen to the podcast and mainly the main platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcast, just head on over. It's all the like rate, subscribe, comment kind of deal. That's going to really help us out. And, you know, once the new tour, new tour is heading our way, but hey, we don't know about that right now. Once it's headed our way, then the thought here is that our visibility when people are trying to get themselves psyched up for shows and looking for Pearl Jam podcast material to listen to, that everybody that comments on the podcast page on Apple will be able to see like, hey, this is what John and Randy do. This is what Live on Four Legs is all about. And hopefully people see that and they're like, all right, well, it's time to dig in. Let's find my favorite show and see what they had to say about it. And we're aiming for a goal to get 100 ratings by the end of the year on Apple. And I hope you guys can contribute to that. And I hope that we deserve the five stars. I know we put the work into it, but that's all up for you guys to decide. Hopefully you guys have been entertained and gotten some knowledge from these shows, but it'll keep going throughout the years and years and years. So just kind of hang on to that and get excited. But yeah, if you're able to do that, go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating, help us out. It would mean the world and get in touch with us after you help us out and let us know that you're doing it and we might send you a little gift as a thank you you know gifts aren't bad so you might as well want to go after that just saying all right i'm gonna close this one out now this may be the end we're here not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always i think next week is going to be a celebratory show so i might need to pop a little bottle of something before we get into it, I'm going to pop a bottle of apple juice. I'll see you next week. Shows, please. And the river shall open for the righteous. And the river shall open for the righteous. And the river shall open for the righteous someday. Someday. Someday.
Someday